Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about pupil disorders. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, as always you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash pupil disorders or in the ophthalmology section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. The pupil is formed by a hole in the centre of the iris and there's a number of conditions that can cause abnormally shaped or sized pupils. First, let's talk about pupil constriction. And there are circular muscles in the iris that cause the pupil constriction. And they're stimulated by the parasympathetic nervous system using acetylcholine as a neurotransmitter. The fibres of the parasympathetic nervous system that innervate the eye travel along the oculomotor or the third cranial nerve and into the pupil and the iris where they innervate those circular muscles in the iris that cause pupil constriction. Next, pupil dilation. The dilator muscles of the pupil are arranged like spokes on a bicycle wheel, and they travel straight from the inside of the iris to the outside, and they're stimulated by the sympathetic nervous system, using adrenaline as a neurotransmitter. So when these muscles contract, they pull the inside of the iris outwards and open the pupil up. Next, let's talk about abnormal pupil shapes. And this can have a number of causes. The first cause is trauma to the sphincter muscles in the iris, which can cause an irregular pupil. And this could be caused by cataract surgery or by other eye operations. A condition called anterior uveitis can cause adhesions, which are scarred tissue in the iris, and that can make the pupils misshapen. Acute angle closure glaucoma can cause ischemic damage to the muscles of the iris and this can cause an abnormal pupil shape which is usually a vertical oval. So if you see a vertical oval in somebody with a red painful eye think about acute angle closure glaucoma. A condition called rubiosis iridis which is where there's neovascularization in the iris or new blood vessels that develop in the iris can distort the shape of the iris and the pupil. And this is usually associated with poorly controlled diabetes and diabetic retinopathy. Something called columba is a congenital malformation in the eyes. And this can cause a hole in the iris and an irregular pupil shape. There's a condition called tadpole pupil, which is where there's spasm in a section of the dilator muscles in the iris, which causes a misshapen pupil. So the dilator muscles in one section of the iris pull the pupil out and create an abnormal shape. And this is usually temporary and can be associated with migraines. Next, let's talk about the causes of madriasis, which is a dilated pupil. And you can get a dilated pupil in a third nerve palsy, in holmes Ady syndrome, in raised intracranial pressure. It can be congenital. It can be due to trauma can be due to stimulants such as cocaine and it can be due to anticholinergic medications. And what are the causes of meiosis which is a constricted pupil? These include Horner syndrome, cluster headaches, Argyle-Robinson pupil which occurs in neurosyphilis, opiate use so high doses of morphine can cause constricted pupils, nicotine and pilocarpine. Next, we're going to talk about some specific causes of pupil disorders. The first is a third nerve palsy. The third nerve is the oculomotor nerve, 
and a palsy or an abnormality where this nerve stops working causes ptosis, so drooping of the upper eyelid, a dilated non-reactive pupil, and a divergent strabismus, which is a squint in the affected eye. It causes a down and out position to the affected eye because of its effect on the extraocular muscles. Remember that the third cranial nerve, the ocular motor nerve, supplies all the extraocular muscles except the lateral rectus and the superior oblique. Therefore, when the muscles are no longer getting signals from the ocular motor nerve, the eye moves outwards and downwards due to the effects of the lateral rectus and the superior oblique still functioning without any resistance from the other extraocular muscles. The third cranial nerve or the oculomotor nerve also supplies the levator palpebrae superioris, which is responsible for lifting the upper eyelid. Therefore, a third nerve palsy causes ptosis or eyelid drooping. The oculomotor nerve also contains parasympathetic fibres that innervate the sphincter muscle of the iris. Therefore, a third nerve palsy causes a dilated fixed pupil because there's weakness in those sphincter muscles that cause pupil constriction, so the pupil dilates. The oculomotor nerve travels directly from the brainstem to the eye in a straight line. It travels through the cavernous sinus and close to the posterior communicating artery. Therefore, cavernous sinus thrombosis or a posterior communicating artery aneurysm can cause compression on the nerve and cause a third nerve palsy. Next, let's talk about the different causes of a third nerve palsy. A third nerve palsy can be idiopathic without any clear cause. A third nerve palsy with sparing of the pupil suggests a microvascular cause because the parasympathetic fibres are spared. And this may be due to diabetes, hypertension or ischemia. And a full third nerve palsy without sparing of the pupil is caused by compression of the nerve including compression of the parasympathetic fibres. And this is sometimes called a surgical third due to the structural pathology as opposed to the microvascular pathology that occurs with a third nerve palsy with sparing of the pupil. And a surgical third nerve palsy or a full third nerve palsy may be due to compression with a tumour, from trauma, cavernous sinus thrombosis, a posterior communicating artery aneurysm, or raised intracranial pressure. Next, let's talk about Horner syndrome. And Horner syndrome is a triad of ptosis, meiosis, or pupil constriction, and anhydrosis, which is a loss of sweating. Patients with Horner syndrome may also have enophthalmus, which is a sunken eye, where the eye sinks back into the socket. The light and the accommodation reflexes aren't affected. A Horner syndrome is caused by damage to the sympathetic nervous system that supplies the face. And the journey of the sympathetic nerves to the head is relevant for the causes of Horner syndrome. So being able to understand the journey of the sympathetic nerves will help you understand the causes of Horner syndrome. The sympathetic nerves arise from the spinal cord in the chest. And these are the preganglionic nerves. And then they enter the sympathetic ganglion at the base of the neck. And they exit this sympathetic ganglion as postganglionic nerves. These postganglionic nerves travel to the head running alongside the internal carotid artery. 
One of the ways to work out the location of the Horner syndrome is based on whether there's anhydrosis or a loss of sweating. Central lesions will cause anhydrosis of the arm and the trunk as well as the face. Preganglionic lesions will cause anhydrosis of the face but not of the arm and the trunk. And postganglionic lesions don't cause anhydrosis. The causes of a Horner syndrome can be remembered as the four S's, the four T's and the four C's. S for central, T for torso, meaning preganglionic, and C for cervical, meaning postganglionic. So the central causes, or the four S's, are stroke, multiple sclerosis, swellings, meaning tumours, and stringomyelia, which is a cyst in the spinal cord. Preganglionic causes are the four T's, which are tumour, particularly a pancos tumour, trauma, thyroidectomy, and top rib, meaning a cervical rib that grows above the first rib and the clavicle and presses on the nerve. And the postganglionic causes are the four C's, meaning carotid aneurysm, carotid artery dissection, cavernous sinus thrombosis, and cluster headaches. Congenital Horner syndrome is also possible, and this is associated with something called heterochromia, which is where there's a difference in colour of the iris on the affected side. So if you see a patient with Horner syndrome and you're wondering whether they were born with it, check for a difference in colour between the two eyes. One way to test for Horner syndrome is to use cocaine eye drops. And cocaine acts on the eye to stop neuroadrenaline reuptake at the neuromuscular junction. And this causes a normal eye to dilate because there's more neuroadrenaline stimulating the dilator muscles of the iris. In Horner syndrome, the nerves are not releasing noradrenaline to start with, so blocking the reuptake doesn't make a difference, and so you'll see no reaction of the pupil. Alternatively, a low dose of adrenaline eye drops won't dilate a normal pupil, but they will dilate a Horner syndrome pupil because there's no circulating adrenaline in the neuromuscular junction, so the muscles of the iris are particularly sensitive to a very low-dose adrenaline eye drop. Next, let's talk about something called a Holmes AD pupil. A Holmes AD pupil is a unilateral dilated pupil that's sluggish to react to light, with slow dilation of the pupil following constriction. So you shine a light in their eye, the pupil takes a very long time to slowly react and constrict, and then once you remove the light, the pupil only dilates very slowly following constriction. Over time, the pupil will get smaller and smaller, and a Holmes AD pupil is caused by damage to the postganglionic parasympathetic fibres. And the exact cause is unknown, but like a lot of these unknown conditions, it may be viral. Holmes AD syndrome is where there's a Holmes AD pupil with absent ankle and knee reflexes. This is a sort of perfect quirky fact that you're very unlikely to see in real life, but may appear in your exams. Next is something called an Argyle-Robertson pupil. And this Argyle-Robertson pupil is a specific finding in neurosyphilis. And it's a constricted pupil that accommodates when focusing on a near object but doesn't react to light. They're also often irregularly shaped. And this is sometimes called a prostitute's pupil 
due to the relation with neurosyphilis and because it accommodates but it doesn't react. So that's one mnemonic that you can use to remember the Argyle Robertson pupil. So thanks for listening to this episode on pupil disorders. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. It wouldn't be possible without his hard work and reliability. If you found it helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other podcast episode topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. You can also pick up a copy of the Pediatrics book, which is now available. If you don't fancy picking up a copy of the books, don't worry, you can find all the notes as well as videos, illustrations and questions completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerodefinals.com and I hope you tune in for the next episode which will be about eyelid disorders.